And now as we hear your word preached to us and read to us, may it fill us and spur us on to love and good works in serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have Andrew bring us the Bible reading. Today's reading is coming from the second chapter of Colossians, verses 16 through to 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I'll be with you again as we get into this series in Colossians. I'm Paul Harrington. And... Uh, I'm here today and next week as we continue in this letter. Uh, can I just let you know, Sue isn't with me today. It's not because she doesn't love you all. Uh, she's interstate, and, uh, but hopefully she'll be back, back with us next week. And uh, it'll be great, great to have her back as well. And happy Father's Day to fathers. Uh, good, to, good to celebrate that today. I've got a friend who tells me the way churches generally celebrate Mother's and Father's Days is quite different. Uh, when it comes to Mother's Days, we normally celebrate and laud how wonderful and uh, terrific mothers are. And then when it comes to Father's Day, we generally say, come on, guys, lift your game. You know, sort of, uh, you can do better, you know, and uh, I hope that's not... Okay, see, I, I was reflecting on, I've got three kids, uh, two of them are fathers at this point, and I was thinking, I'm so thankful that all three of them actually, I think, uh, are doing a better job raising their kids than Sue and I did with them. And I think that's always your goal, isn't it? That uh, you, know, you have your kids pressing on in the gospel and raising their kids in the gospel, and uh, we're very thankful for that. We're going to turn our attention to uh, Colossians 2, the last part of that chapter. And if you've got your Bibles, it would be great to have that open in front of you. But why don't I pray as we, we look at it together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who speaks to us, you are a God who is gracious and kind, you're a God who has been so merciful uh, to us in your Son. And Father, we pray that 
that preeminence, uh, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, will keep dominating our minds and hearts as we think about how we live for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you can remember those. I don't think there's so many of them on TV right now, but those, but wait, there's more ads. Do you know the ones I'm talking about? The, but wait, there's more. You know, they advertise, you can buy this treadmill. It'll only cost you 36 payments of 16.99, you know, monthly payments, and it'll all be yours. But wait, there's more. You know, and they tell you you can also get a, a DVD that'll go alongside this. It'll tell you how to use it properly. And then they get to the end of that. But wait, there's more. You know, we'll throw on this 172-centimetre TV for no extra charge. But wait, there's, and it, they go on like that, trying to get you in. You know, for the, the first 50 callers, you'll also get three beanies or, you know, whatever it is. And uh, it just seems to go on and on and on. Now, can I say, I think... There's always going to be religious groups and religious leaders who will tell us they have the secret source. Yes, you have Jesus, but wait, there's more. Yeah, there's something more, and we, we have the, the secret to this. really came home to me, my brother-in-law, Steve, uh, came from a non-Christian background, uh, got, got married to my wife's sister, and... They, he wasn't a Christian. We started reading the Bible, eventually became a believer. Steve was a ceiling fixer, and we kept reading the Bible as uh, he pressed on in the gospel. Uh, he came out to our place one, one day after work, you know, on a site somewhere. I asked, how did, how did work go today? He said, but it was really good. He said, yeah, like today, I became a Christian. I thought, what? <laughs> he became a Christian months prior to that. And, and I said, you know, what do you mean? I thought you were already a Christian. He said, I thought I was too, but I wasn't. And uh, I said, what happened at work? He said, well, this, this guy I was working with on the side, and I, he was a Christian, and I explained I was a Christian too. And uh, we got into a conversation, and he asked whether I'd uh, spoken in tongues, and I told him I hadn't. And he said, well, you can't be a Christian if you haven't spoken in tongues. And then he said, if, you know, if you've been baptised, he told him he had been baptised, uh, asked whether it was by full immersion, and uh, he said, no, no, it wasn't by full immersion. He said, well, you're obviously not a Christian, and uh, in order to be a Christian, you both need to speak in tongues and come along to my church tonight and get baptised by full immersion. That will make you a Christian. We sat down, I went through different bits of the Bible with Steve, totally unconvinced you know, and uh, so eventually I pulled out my trump card, right, my, my ace in the hole. I said to him, Steve, if what you're saying is true, you realise you're saying I'm not a Christian. And there was this sort of pause in the conversation. And he said, yeah, but you can become one too. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, okay, you know, now eventually... Eventually we sorted it out, but you get it, don't you? There's always the problem of Jesus plus religion in all its various forms. And can I say that when we look at the New Testament, when we look, look at the Bible, here is the simple gospel mathematical equation. Right? This is the simple gospel maths. Jesus plus anything always equals nothing. Right? 
Jesus plus anything always equals nothing. You've already looked at that hinge verse in Colossians chapter 2. Let me remind you of it. It's Colossians 2 verse 6. Uh, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. This is the pivot point uh, for this whole letter. From chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 5, it's all about what God has done for us in Jesus. Then you get to chapter 2, verse 6, and for the rest of this letter, it's all about living the Christian life. How do you press on as a Christian? How do you press on or continue, as it says in chapter 2, verse 6, how do you continue in him? Chapter 1 is all about the lordship and the supremacy of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 6 and following is all about how you work out the lordship of Christ in your life. That's the point. How do you continue in him? And from chapters uh, 2 to 4, particularly chapters 3 and 4, It's intensely practical, working out this lordship. Uh, How do you work out the lordship of Christ in your family? It speaks to husbands, wives, uh, fathers on Father's Day, if you want to read ahead. It talks about work, the lordship of Christ at work. It talks about prayer. But first of all, what we get uh, from chapter chapter 2, verse 6 to the end of this chapter are a series of warnings He's he's about to talk about how to press on in the Lordship of Christ. But first of all, he warns us about what not to do. What not to do before he gets what to do. And you get again that pivotal verse in chapter 2, verse 8. See that no one takes you captive and no one kidnaps you through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition. You know, we've all seen those, uh, those films, you know, someone's walking on the street, the van stops beside them, two guys jump out, throw a hood over someone's head, throw them in the back of the van and haul them off somewhere else. They kidnap them, often for ransom. Same sort of idea here. Make sure no one kidnaps you from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what we get in the section we're looking at today are three warnings about where we can get kidnapped so verse, the first is verse 16, right? Don't let anyone judge you. The second comes in verse 18. Don't let anyone disqualify you. And then the third one comes in verse 20. Do not submit to worldly rules. Don't let anyone judge you, disqualify you. Don't submit to worldly uh, rules. So let's look at each of those together. See the way in which... We can add to the gospel in a way that completely destroys it, equates to zero. Firstly, don't let anyone judge you. You pick it up in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. (coughs) Excuse me. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Uh, See, the, the verse starts with therefore, that is, what is about to come rests on the foundation that's been laid in the previous section. Uh, Jesus died. God took our sin, our debt that we uh, owed because of our sin. It was nailed to the cross. We are forgiven. And therefore, the Old Testament law no longer 
condemns us. And because we're not condemned by that, don't let anyone judge you. Right? Don't let anyone judge you. Let me tell you what this is not saying. You know, when it says, don't let anyone judge you, it is not saying Christians are to be unaccountable and lack account in our relationships. It's not saying no one can ever call us out on our sin. It is not saying that. Uh, you know, if you happen to be sleeping around with someone who's not your spouse or getting drunk on a regular basis or you're harsh and unkind to your children or you're a gossip and a fellow believer, a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and says, look, this is not consistent with being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, at that point you don't immediately come to Colossians 2 verse 16 and say, God has told you not to judge me. Stop judging me. Right? That's a bad application of this verse, if I can just put it like that. Part of loving one another is actually to call each other to faithfulness in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not saying that. What it, what it is saying, look again with me at verse 16. It's talking about what you eat, what you drink, or with regard to a religious festival. Or in verse 17, it says, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. But the reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, you can think through a lot of the Old Testament laws about mosaic law, about the Sabbath, or food, or sacrifices, or uh, drink offerings, or feast days. Clearly, some of the teachers here in Colossae were saying, if you're serious about following Jesus, then isn't it wonderful that Jesus has died for our sins on the cross, raised from the dead, so we have confidence about the resurrection? And of course, you want to keep the Old Testament laws as well, because you're a serious follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't you? So you'll do those things in addition to them. And Paul says here, no, <laughs> no. And if he was trying to be emphatic, he'd go, no, 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 no. Right? And if you pick up the you idiot tone, that'd be there too, right? No, verse 17. He says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. But the reality is found in Christ. Uh, shadow. I have a, um, this picture, I'll sit, sorry it's so small, uh, it's fine on my desk, I can see it well on my desk. Uh, so I have this on my desk, uh, unless I knock it off, but it's never for any reason except clumsiness, right? So it's always sitting on my desk, remind me of who Sue is. Now, when Sue comes into the room, right, this is sitting on the desk. So she comes in the doorway, and this is sitting on the desk here. I don't relate to Sue through the photo. Lovely to have you in the room, darling, you know, and uh, she's over here. I'm, I don't relate to her through the photo. See, this is, this is just a, a reflection, if you like, of who she is. And that's the point being made here. So the Old Testament rules and regulations, they reminded us of our sin and the need for a saviour. But now Jesus has died on the cross for your sin. There's no need for those rules and regulations. They're just a shadow. We now have the reality. But friends, that is the nature 
of religion. Rather than accepting what God has done for us in Christ, religion says, I really must do something to make myself more acceptable in God's eyes. Achieve something so that I secure my relationship more effectively. It can come in lots of forms. Um, Come back to the example I mentioned with Steve, getting uh, baptised. If it's not done by full immersion, is it really genuine or not? Of course, you know, that's completely the wrong question. It's a dumb question to ask. When you think about baptism, who do we, um, who do we baptise? So I was talking to Andrew beforehand and just asked him how long he'd be around for. He told me you know, he became a Christian a few years ago, got baptised, right? Now, Andrew, were you a Christian when you got baptised or did you become a Christian after you got baptised? Yeah, tough one, isn't it? You know? It's not hard to work out, is it? We only ever baptise people who are Christians. We don't baptise people to become Christians, do we? So then you say, well, how much water should we use? Who cares, right? Really? Like the person's already a believer. Do they need to be baptised? Not, not have standing with God. How do, they, how do they have standing with God? On the basis of baptism or on the basis of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and they're trusted in him? Now, hear me right. I'm not against baptism, right? I'm for baptism, but understand where it sits in the scheme of things. It does not make us right with God. Don't let anyone judge you on the basis of those rules and regulations or make you think there's a, there's a way in which you need to do... I remember when um, one of our children came home from school one day and we did the usual table thing. You know, how was school today? What did you learn? remember one of our children, eight years old, said... I learned how to pray today, which we thought was a bit odd because we felt like we'd been praying with him for many years up until that point in time. So we, we said, what do you mean? You know, trying not to make it too accusatory. Yeah, but, uh, what, what do you mean? He said, well, let me show you, he said. And he got a very serious look in his face. He folded his hands, bowed his head, and said in a voice that was not his, our Father who art in heaven. Right? Right? It, it was terrible. We tried not to communicate that, but do you, do you understand what he was being told at that point? Genuine prayer had a certain form. And if you adopted that form, then God would hear it more, would be pleased with you because of it. And of course, at that point, it then says to him, that's the means by which he makes himself more acceptable to God. It's insidious, isn't it? Of course, you know, most of us aren't eight-year-olds, probably a few of us are, but um, so what does it look like for us? Well, it might look like um, the really spiritual members here at Trinity Victor Harbour. Of course you'll be at the prayer meeting, won't you? The ones who are less spiritual won't be at the prayer meeting, will they? There's all sorts of ways we can introduce that sort of culture, isn't it? I want you to know too, notice the, in verse 16 what it says, 
says, don't let anyone judge you. Let me put the emphasis, don't let anyone judge you. It's addressed to the person being judged. It's asking us this question, where is your security? Where is your confidence? Is it in what Christ has done? It's enormously helpful if you are secure there, because when someone comes at you and says, no, 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 you need more, then you'll be able to say, I'm in Christ. I'm okay. I'm in Christ. I'm okay. Don't let anyone judge you. Uh, Paul goes on, verse 18, he says, don't let anyone disqualify you, verse 18. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Yes, of course, Jesus. But if you want to add to it with some sort of spiritual experience, don't you? You know, you want to sort of, there's something more to the Christian life that you're missing out in some way. The very presence of God in your life is what you need. Have you ever felt on the outer because you haven't had the experience of some other believer? Have they made you feel like you're on the outer? When I became a Christian, I was at university. There are a number of people in the group I was in who uh, spoke in tongues, and I wasn't speaking in tongues. And I, uh, I just thought they were the in crowd, the in spiritual crowd, you know, and I needed to have that sort of experience. It's talking about the people who draw attention to their experiences. They're the people who say, you know, God spoke to me. And when they say it, you get the sense that it's not through the Bible they're talking about. Or I have certain gifts that, that I want to share with you. Uh, it's like Steve again, you know, have you spoken in tongues? Uh, no. Oh, well, you really need to, don't you? Paul talks about delighting in false humility, verse 18. See, real humility relies on what Jesus has done for me, not something I do or experience. That's false humility. It's attributing something to myself when I shouldn't. Anything that makes you think less of being in Christ is false. It's false humility. It's actually arrogant because what you're doing is saying something I'm doing is establishing my relationship with God. He goes on. He says, don't just submit to human commands and teachings, verses 20 to 23, verse 20. Since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Now, this section, I think, is talking about uh, asceticism or um, denying yourself pleasure and enjoyment of food or drink or um, almost physically punishing yourself in some way and saying this is actually one of the keys to the higher life or relationship with God. You pick it up in verse 21. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. And we're told it's worldly. The reason it's worldly is because it's focused on this world, it's focused on uh, the creation, and it's tied up with human rules around the creation, adding to what Christ has done. 
And you, again, if you've been a Christian for a while, will know how this works. You really want to please God? Well, clearly, uh, Christians want to please God. They don't drink alcohol, do they? Oh, of course not. Um, and if you're really serious about believing in God and what Christ has done for you, it's good for you to fast at least once a week, but twice would be better. Uh, you know, that will really be so enormously helpful. Let me remind you of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 7, verse 15. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. God um, created the world, created it good or bad. Good. All right, go back to Genesis 1. Good, 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 very good. <laughs> so no question about that. Do you think he made it to be enjoyed? I think he did. In fact, that's what the Bible says. We don't turn something good into something bad. You know, that's, that's the point being made. And these instructions, they're as useless now as they were for the Colossians 2,000 years ago. You don't get brownie points with God uh, by what you take into your body or don't take, or, or don't take into your body. Verse 23 it's described as self-imposed worship. It, it, self-imposed worship is deciding, me deciding, how I will worship God rather than worshipping God the way God's decided and tells us to. That's the human nature of it, which is all back to front. And verse 23, the harsh treatment of the body. It makes it very clear it doesn't work to re restrain sin. The, the issue is not external in order to deal with sin. See, the issue is the human heart. That's what needs the gospel of God's transforming grace in order to transform people's lives. That's the problem with legalism. It's external. It doesn't deal with the human heart. But the gospel of God's grace humbles our hearts. Do you get where Paul's going in this section? He's saying that religion, by definition, is anti-Christian. Because religion is all about what we can do to be acceptable and loved by God. And can I say, religion destroys. It destroys. I um, have a friend called Chris... Uh, Chris was the one who, when I was at university, sat down with me and read the Bible with me and the one uh, who led me to Christ. Wonderful, wonderful, kind and generous man who cared for me. So we were peers at university, married to Amanda, and Chris and Amanda joined a church out of university and they were there for two or three decades. And this was a church that was serious about the Bible. Um, Sue and I sat down with them as a couple just a couple of years ago and they were really uh, in a bad place, really, because what they worked out was that this church they belonged to had become increasingly big on rules. Uh, 
that were established by the church to assess faithfulness. Uh, if you're faithful, you'd be going to a series of meetings during the week. If you're a faithful Christian, you wouldn't be watching television or letting your children watch television. If you were a real believer, you'd be giving more and more money to the church. If you're a real Christian, this is the way in which you would raise your children. If you're a real Christian, you would not let your daughters go to university. That would be destructive for them. If you're all, and they said it was, it was strange that the water temperature in the church just changed gradually over a series of years as there was the accumulation of more and more hurdles to jump over, rules to go through, all all framed under the guise of how can we please God more and more and more as we press on together. And when we caught up with them, they were really quite gutted. And the difficulty was, this was the only group of people, these were the tight group of friends that they had. And to leave this church would mean being alone. You've heard that story before, I'm sure. But it has been delightful. This, this brother in Christ who has been, God has used in such a kind way for, for me just to see him and his wife and his adult children just flourishing in the gospel of God's wonderful grace and generosity once again. But can I say that's a risk for any church It's a risk that we need to be aware of for our church, that we don't inadvertently slip into the acquisition of human rules and designs that are the way in which we measure true spirituality. I was um, trying to think what it might be for, say, Trinity Church, Victor Harbour, or other churches in our network. Let me tell you where I reckon the risk is. I think it will be that we measure people's spirituality or tend to judge them based on how much ministry and serving they're doing. I think that's probably the Bible-centred culture. And the more people are doing it, if you're leading a Bible study group and serving in kids' ministry and playing music and reading the Bible out in front, and the more you do, the more you do, the more you do, that's the mark of being spiritual and mature. Now, is serving wrong? Of course not. Is serving to impress others wrong? Absolutely. It's very destructive. Is serving to impress God wrong? That is completely destructive. No matter what you do, you cannot get closer to God than you already are in Christ. How will you add to what Christ has done to get you closer to God? Plan to dine across sometime soon. You know, like, how do you do that? You can't. Now, we'll go on and talk about the implications of the gospel for living, but understand that our standing with God is secured by God himself and what he's done for us. Friends, true humility is generated by the gospel of God's grace. Legalism, man-made rules, they make what? I do, they make me big. What I do makes me big. The grace of God in Christ makes Jesus big and me small. That's the way gospel mathematics works. 
I love the, uh, the words of the old, the old hymn. It just came to mind during the week, Rock of Ages. It's a wonderful old hymn by Augustus Toplady. It's a big name. Third verse, let me just read one half of this verse to you. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply, simply to thy cross I cling. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Let me pray for us, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a merciful and gracious God. And Father, thank you that you brought us into relationship with yourself through all that you've accomplished in your son. We had the shadow, but he is the reality. And Father, we pray that we will understand our standing with you based on what you have done, that we'll be secure in that. And then when people come at us uh, saying, no, no, there's more, uh, you'll, you'll help us to stand firm and say, I'm in Christ, I'm all right. Uh, Father, help us to be that, that way. Help us to be that as a community of believers that radiate grace and generosity. Help us not to be taken captive by idle, idle promises, empty promises, proud promises. Help us just to rely on you and your wonderful promises to us and your son. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.